Well, it's great to have everyone here again today. Um, good to see some wonderful, friendly, smiling faces. There we go. There's the smiling faces. There, there, there they are. Um, you know, one night there was a man and he was driving home on a road. I'm just going to put this down a bit. He was driving home on a road. And uh, he was quite familiar with this road. We've all been there. We drive the same roads so often, don't we? And uh, this, this time, he, he, there was this stop sign. And he came to the stop sign and he slowed down, but he didn't come to a complete stop, whereupon a police officer pulled him over. And uh, the guy who uh, was pulled over said to the cop, what difference does it make if I slow down or stop? The officer got out his baton and started beating him and said, would you like me to slow down or stop? I want you to turn to someone beside you and tell them if you're the driver who comes to a complete stop at a stop sign or if you're someone that just slows down and checks and then goes through. Go on, do it now. Turn to the person beside you and tell them, are you the one that stops or do you just keep going? All right, how'd we go? Who lied? <laughs> Remember, you're in church, you weren't supposed to lie. We, we get into some trouble on the road, don't we, when we're not paying attention. We get in trouble when we don't obey the rules. Now, I want you to turn to someone beside you and tell them the last time you got a ticket. Don't lie. So we're a little bit quieter that time, weren't we? Weren't we? Except here, someone said, never. Anne-Marie, you are a unicorn. Two unicorns? Really? There's more unicorns? Wow, that's amazing. You know, uh, up until last year, I hadn't got a ticket for over 10 years, or nearly 10 years. Um, we'd just gone over and dropped the kids off in Swan Hill, where my parents picked them up, and uh, they then had a lovely week's holiday. Kelly and I, we drove back um, to continue our working week as, as life continues. And so um, on the way back, I was on this really straight country road on the way back from Swan Hill. Just wasn't quite paying enough attention. And you know when you sort of have those where you have to come to go along a road, you stop, you turn left, and then you turn right almost immediately and go on again a long road. You know, I just got a bit lazy with the cruise control. I normally use cruise control all the time. This time though, just a little bit of inattention, just the right foot just got a little bit heavier over time. And then coming the other way was a police car. <sighs> yes, I got a ticket and a very frosty reception from Kelly sitting beside me. Um, it, it, but it's, there's that awful feeling when you see those lights go. Do you get that like pang within you when those, woo, you know? It's no good, it's no good. And then when you see them in your rear vision, you're like, ah, yep, that's me, that's me. And uh, I had no other excuse other than inattention. And uh, yeah, got the ticket. 
Um, but I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure many of us have got tickets for different things. And uh, if, if Kelly had been a, a perfect driver and never got a ticket, I could understand a much more frosty reception, but she too is like me, human. Um, and, you know, it's wonderful that we get to share these stories of joy and hope that we have with our driving records with each other, isn't it? Um, particularly on our wedding anniversary. Can I, it's 18 years this year that we, uh, today, uh, that we're celebrating our wedding anniversary. Um, and, you know, even those moments of those frosty receptions, you know, that's part of life. It's part of being married. You have the good times and the other ones. Um, <laughs> And hopefully for you, like us, there's been more good than, than the other. Uh, today we are going on a road trip um, with Abraham. This is chapter 6 of the story. And uh, the Israelites, they are on this road trip. Um, they may not have had cars, um, but, you know, there is some sort of joke, joke about what they crossed the desert in, in triumph, in a triumph or something. But I don't think that was the, the actual car. Um, but this trip they're going on, get themselves into a heap of trouble. And they began this trip with Abraham. God promised Abraham that his offspring would one day inherit the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. 645 years later, Moses is driving the car and the children of Israel are in the back seat and they're driving out of Egypt and slavery across the Red Sea through the desert of Sinai. And they have come to a city called Kadesh Barnea. And it's sort of like driving to Wollongong and having to cross you know, the Blue Mountains. Instead of three kids in the back seat, Moses has somewhere between one and three million kids in the back seat. And every 20 minutes they're shouting, are we there yet? Moses, are we there yet? And when they get to Kadesh Barnea, Moses turns around in the driver's seat and says, well, children, actually, we're really close. It's in Kadesh Barnea that the Lord speaks to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So these 12 leaders, who are the drivers for their families, their tribes are taking them to the final destination of Canaan. And so they're going to explore the land that God is promising to give them. Numbers 13.25 tells us that they are gone for 40 days before they give their report to Moses. They tell him that the land is awesome and it truly is flowing with milk and honey. In fact, they brought back with them a cluster of grapes that was so plump, it took two men to carry it back to Moses. There's some decent grapes. But they said, we have a problem. There are people already living there who like the land just fine. And there's a lot of them. And some of them are giants. So even though the land is awesome, we do not recommend we try and take the land at this time. Then Caleb, who was one of the 12 spies, speaks up. He silenced the people before Moses and said in Numbers 13.30, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. 
We can certainly do it. But the other 11 spies, of the other 11 spies, only Joshua sided with Caleb. The other 10 men said, no way can we pull this off. It's not safe. And they spread a bad report in the camp and convinced the people it was not a good idea. Moses gathers the people together and he tears his clothes in frustration and he pleads with them in Numbers 14, 8 to 9. He says, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Question. How did the people respond to this impassioned speech of Moses, the leader of the nation that had led them out of slavery of Egypt, that had led them to this, this point in their time, how did they respond? How did they respond to this man who had given up everything to go back to Egypt, to lead them out of slavery, to lead them through the Red Sea, over the desert, who is now pleading with them for their life and their future? How did they respond? Well, we're given the answer in Numbers 14, verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Pretty serious response, isn't it? They wanted to kill them for saying we should go into where God said we should go. This is where they made their wrong turn. God had told them to turn left at Kadesh Barnea and they turned right. This is where the nation of Israel decided not to trust in God's strength over the giants in Canaan. God is operating from a GPS, not a global positioning satellite, but a God positioning satellite. He can see the big picture from beginning to end. But the people have a different hunch and they said no to him. They failed to make their left turn. And so God says back to them, recalculating, as we've heard many times, haven't we? Because of their lack of trust in God, God is going to have to make a hard right back down south again, along the Red Sea, back deep into the wilderness. And here's what God says to them in Numbers 14, verse 28 to 34. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who, has, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Let's just pause here for a moment. God has created here a courtroom scene. He's saying, I've placed my hand on the Bible. I've lifted my hand before the judge. I've said, I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me myself. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected 
But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. Numbers 14, 28, 34. What does this story, though, have to do with your lives today? I would like to give you three practical principles on how you can pass your spiritual driving test. First of all, the first one is learn to ask for directions. And all the women said, Amen. <laughs> no? Not quite? You want to make sure your life is heading in the right direction. To do so, you need to stop and ask, in this case, ask God for direction. You're asking God not to just to show you how to get there, but where there even is. This is a, a very foundational principle in living the Christian life. It simply involves living in the will of God or aligning your story to his story. It is waking up every day and asking God the fundamental question, God, what is your will for my life? He will honour you if he sees a tender willingness in you to move in the, the direction he is calling you to go in. Israel knew this was God's will for them. It was the next major step in the unfolding of God's story. It began at creation. When we rejected God's vision and the story unfolding, it continues unfolding, taking us to this predetermined destination where those who receive this gift of salvation in Jesus Christ are once again going to reside with God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit in the garden. We discover that the story ends where the story begins. God wins and he has restored what is lost, spoiler alert, and these stories happen in between those two points, including ours and that of the children of Israel, and they're moving the, the story to this destination, the final destination. He told them this was his will. You remember the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. God has told us where to go. He has revealed his will to us, just like he revealed his will to Moses and the children of Israel. It's in his word. It's in the Bible. For example, in the area of marriage and family, God said, it is my will for you to stay sexually pure until you enter into a marriage covenant. Some of you would say, I can't believe God would want to keep me from being happy. That's not what he's doing. He is saving you for the ultimate joy. The question is, will you turn left or will you take that hard right away from God's will? This is something quite rare in our world today, people who choose to remain pure until marriage and people who, who take a stand to keep themselves for their marriage partner. 
but it is something that I not only admire, but encourage everyone who is not yet married to do, to keep yourself for your marriage partner. God also says, it's not my will for you to divorce. I hate divorce. For those of you who have experienced that, I'm not being insensitive. You know more than anybody that divorce is not a pretty thing. So he says to you, while you are married, make sure you nurture that relationship. Don't let it get out of balance. Humble yourself. You know, it takes a lot of humility to form oneness in marriage. 18 years down the track, I need more humility. But make a personal commitment to grow spiritually, to become like Jesus, so you can offer that up for your mate. Do your part now to prevent a divorce later. Now, the truth is, sometimes your mate doesn't want to come along in that and you are put in a no-win situation and divorce happens. But if you at least do your part today because you trust that God, that his best is, is the right direction for you, when all that happens, you know that you did your part. And I believe just like Joshua and Caleb did their part, God will provide grace for you. God says, and you don't have to debate this, it is my will for you to raise your children to honour the Lord. So I congratulate you, those that are here today. You have your children gathered around you. You're demonstrating that raising children in the Lord means becoming part of a spiritual community that is collectively moving in the direction of God's will. But there's even more than that. When you leave this building... You need to model this relationship with the Lord before them on the other days of the week. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It, it, it means even when you stumble, you talk about it with them. You let them see how much you fret and how much you love and, and how much you want to follow the will of the Lord. That authenticity in modelling, following God's will before them will be a great blessing to your children. In the area of rhythm and balance, God said you don't need to debate this. It's my will for you to experience a Sabbath rest. You know, we're a bit like vacuum cleaners. We've got the residential motor, not the commercial one. We can't go 24-7, you know, just hammer and tongs the whole time. We, we can't do that. We're not built that way. God has built us with the residential grade motor, the one that needs the rest, the one that just can't keep sucking. Because if you keep sucking, it'll suck you out. It'll just, you know, it'll turn bad. You need rest. You need rest. We all need rest. We need to replenish our engine Focus, God says, focus your attention on replenishing in me. If you do that, you'll be blessed. If you don't do that, one day you're going to find yourself in the wilderness and it will all be because you didn't take a left turn when it came to practicing the Sabbath. Rest. When it comes to the era of finance, God says, I have revealed my will for each of you. First, be careful with debt because if you get too far into debt, you'll become a slave to the lender. 
You will be in Egypt in your finances. Second, I want you to be satisfied with me and not with things. If you're satisfied with me, you won't be tempted to go into debt to buy things that cannot satisfy. Only I can satisfy. Third, if you want to give the first... Third, he says, I want you to give first fruits of everything I've given you. Give a portion back to me as an act of worship. Be generous and joyful. That's my will. You know, when we fail to make the left turn at Kadesh Barnea, which, of course, turning left meant they went into the promised land, if we fail to do that, we put ourselves in danger of wandering in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but I don't want to wander in the wilderness. I don't want to waste any of my years in the desert unless the desert is the will of God for me. You know, sometimes it is the will of God for us to be in the wilderness, to learn to trust in him. But if it's not the will of God for me to be in the wilderness, I don't want to be there. Not one minute. I want to be in that land flowing with milk and honey. I'd rather spend my time there than in the desert. Second, don't be driven by fear. Israel knew this was the will of God, so why didn't they go in? Because they were afraid. It was fear that kept them from heading north, from turning left. There were giants in the land and they just couldn't see from their lower story perspective how they could overcome them. So they stayed in their safety in the wilderness. Here's a principle. If it's God's will, he will make a way. God clearly told them, I am giving this to you. If you just head there, I'll take care of the rest. Joshua and Caleb saw this. Remember what they said? Do not be afraid of the people in the, of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Church, hear me out. God is bigger than any giant you are facing or will ever face. He will devour them if you will but move in his direction. You might be struggling in any of the areas that I mentioned earlier or any multitude of other issues that are giants for you right now. You know, some people who, who might not even be here in person but watching along online today are being gripped by fear. Whatever the giants are in front of you, your fear is keeping you from following the will of God. We know that God's will is for us to meet together as family, as a community of faith, not to give that up because we're afraid of something. We've given up so much over the last two years, it's time we stop living in fear and slay those giants in front of us and walk in faith instead of being stopped by fear. You know, this week at Kids Converge, I was sharing the story of Jesus walking on water. Um, for those who aren't aware, Kids Converge, first and third Thursdays of the month, primary age kids plus, bring your older siblings too, that's fine. Um, but if you remember from the, from the Gospels, I was talking about the, the, the story of the Gospel of Jesus walking on water. 
And I went to Matthew where Peter also has the privilege of the only other human being to ever walk on water. And he wanted to be like Jesus. He saw Jesus walking on, on water and said, hey, can I do that too? And with great faith, he got out of the boat and walked on water. Don't let the amazingness of that blow your mind. He walked on water. When was the last time you did that? Peter did. Peter walked on water. But then he looked at the giants around him. He looked at the wind and the waves. And what happened? He began to sink and he needed to be rescued by Jesus. And the point I made to the kids were these. I made two points to the kids. First, you've got to get out of the boat. To walk in faith, you first need to get out of the boat. Get out of your comfort zone. You can trust Jesus to be right there with you when you get out of the boat. And only by getting out of the boat can amazing things happen. And the second point I made was keep your eyes on Jesus. It was when Peter took his eyes off Jesus and instead of focusing on God and his greatness, he instead focused on the giants that were around him. He focused on his circumstances that were working against him. He focused on all the things that would cause his defeat. All the circumstances in life that are working against us, willing us to fail, robbing us of walking in faith. If we take our eyes off Jesus, we will be defeated by fear and need rescuing. And some of us need rescuing right now. So get out of the boat. Walk in faith and keep your eyes on Jesus. A great message for kids at Kids Converge, but also a great message for us today. The third point I want to make today was remember that others are in the car with you. You remember when, when God laid down the consequences for their failure to move into the land? He said, your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness. The children had been through a lot. They lived the lives of slaves in Egypt. That had to be hard. Now they're in the desert as nomads. But in just a few short days or months, they'll be settling into their own land and houses and safety and dignity. That, this was God's provision for them. But because the parents said no to going in God's direction the children would spend the rest of their childhood and young adulthood in the wilderness. Our decisions don't just affect us, they affect everybody in the car with us. I don't know about you, but I don't want to wander in the wilderness and I don't want to be responsible for dragging other people into the wilderness with me because I don't have the courage to stand up to giants, stand up to the fear in front of me because I wouldn't trust in God. So here's the point. Take the left turn at your Kadesh Barnea and head into the promised land, the place of his will for your life. Don't let the fear of giants around you rob you of being in God's will. Fast forward 40 years. 
we see the graciousness of God. All of those 20 years and older have died in the wilderness and he is now giving their grown children the opportunity to decide for themselves. They find themselves back in Kadesh Barnea. Moses has passed away in the wilderness and Joshua is now in charge. Here's something interesting. The last time, under the leadership of Moses, he sent 12 spies to explore the land and two came back saying, we can certainly do this, Joshua and Caleb. Now it's Joshua's turn to lead. Guess how many spies he sends in to explore the land? The answer? Two. Committees never make a courageous decision. See, this is just a formality in the, in the strong leadership of Joshua. They come back and say, the land is still awesome. And it's still flowing with milk and honey. You know what? There are more people there than were there 40 years ago. And the Jerichoites must be putting risers in their shoes because they're bigger than our parents said them that they were. It will be dangerous. But God can certainly do it for us. And they said yes. They turned left. They went into the land of God's promise, the land of living in the centre of God's will for their life. They said yes. They were faithful where their parents were not. You know, this is how I want to live. If God says stop, I want to stop. If God says turn left, I want to turn left. If God says I want you to rush forward, I want to put the pedal to the metal, you know, of course, it, go, yep, I'm there. I don't want to take a beating with a baton and I don't want to spend one day in the wilderness that I'm not called to spend. I want to spend my life in a promised land, not only for me, but for my children, for the people I'm called to serve at this church. I want us all to honour God and to be in the centre of his will. Where he says jump, I say how high. Where he says turn left, I'm there. When he says forge a path forward, I'm going to forge that path. And I hope that that's the, the approach that we all have to the will of the Lord that we say yes and that we, we take the other people along with us that are in the car with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you and Lord, having a look at this story of the unfaithfulness of a, a whole generation of people, Lord, it is a warning to us not to be unfaithful because, Lord, the consequences are too great. Lord, there's 40 years and all of those lives that they spent aimlessly wandering without purpose, receiving punishment, in fact, from you for unfaithfulness. Lord, may we not choose to be put off by the giants that we are facing and, and, and turn aside from your will because, Lord, everything around us looks impossible. Lord, your word gives us that promise that with all things, Christ, in Christ, all things are possible through him who gives us strength. 
So Lord, may we walk in the strength of Christ. May we keep our eyes on Jesus and not be robbed of walking in faith by the giants that we are that are trying to slay us in our lives. Instead, may we walk in your victory and slay those giants by walking in faith. Lord, I pray that we would not wander in the wilderness, but we would walk in your will. Where you say, turn left, may we say, I'm right there, I'm turning left. Where you say to us, my will is for you to forge a path forward, Lord, help us forge that path. Lord, where your will is that we rest, may we rest. May we honour you as you declare your will to us. May we respond in faith and get out of that boat and walk in faith into whatever you are calling us into. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, let's stand and sing as we complete our service and uh, complete this wonderful um, time of worship by, again, focusing on the centrality of Jesus Christ in our lives. Would you stand with us now, please?